Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 48 of the podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the interior life of your characters. But first, a couple of bits of news. If you're based in the UK and you're listening to this before the 8th of November, the news is that we still have a couple of places left on our annual Lakes writing course. The Art of Story is a residential course in the Lake District for writers of fiction, biography and memoir. It runs from the 9th to the 13th of November, although you can come from the f- for the first half or second half or all of that week. You'll get expert tuition from professional writers and editors, as well as one-to-one tailored feedback on your work. If you're interested, just drop me a line. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com or you can go to our website, firstpagecourses.com. Second thing to say is that the more numerous amongst you will have noticed that since we're on episode 48, there's just two episodes before we get to episode 50. And for that episode, I'm really excited to announce that I have an interview with award-winning author, Nancy Cress. Now, Nancy is a multi-Hugo award-winning, Nebula award-winning writer. She's won the Sturgeon Award. She's won the John Campbell Memorial Award. In fact, she's won a whole bunch of awards. She's written novels, short stories, and books on the craft of writing, one of which I found particularly invaluable, and that's dynamic characters. And because Nancy has written on the subject of character, and we're in the middle of a series on the podcasts on characters, I thought it would be great to have a chat with her. And we did have a good conversation, brilliant conversation in fact, and it's a must listen for you guys, it really is. So check out that episode when it's released, which will be around November the 27th. So back to today's subject, everyone has their own inner thoughts and feelings. And that should apply to characters in a story as well as people in real life. So in this episode, we're going to explore the interior life of characters and how best to present your character's interior life, their thoughts and feelings in your work. And I'm gonna start by explaining what I mean by the interior life of the character. And then we'll go on to talk about some of the lessons that I've learned both from my own writing and from looking at some of the great authors and editors and what they say about this subject. Then we'll have a quick look at some of the practical aspects of punctuation before we finish with a summary. So first of all, what is the interior life of the character and what sort of interior life should we be showing? Well, basically by interior life, I mean the thoughts and feelings of your character. Other characters aren't party to these things, but your readers can be. Now, when you and I think about things, some of what goes on in our heads is pretty mundane. What will we have for dinner? What's on TV tonight? The kind of banal stuff that people fill their Facebook accounts with. Now that won't do for our creative work. We're trying to capture and entertain the reader here. We're trying to keep them engrossed and engaged with the story. So maybe there's something else. Well, what other thoughts do we have? On occasions, our minds are filled with thoughts and feelings that we really wouldn't want to share with other people. Dark thoughts, angry thoughts, sometimes inappropriate thoughts. Beth Hill says in her blog, Inner dialogue and thought reveal truth. They reveal darkness. They reveal hope or dreams or resignation. They reveal emotions or beliefs too painful to be shared with other characters. They reveal the heart. They reveal despair of the soul. They reveal strength of the spirit. And I've called this episode the blade in the mind because in many ways, the kind of things that we present from the interior life of a character need to be like a blade. They need to cut either other characters or the character themselves. They need to be short and sharp. They need to raise tension and emotion and they need to focus everyone's mind. 
This is one of the areas where as writers we have an advantage over those who present their stories visually through film, TV and theatre. In these art forms the characters have relatively limited scope to show what they're thinking but we writers can invite our readers into the minds of our characters and given that opportunity we should try to use this aspect of creative writing to best effect. So this technique can show the seemingly loyal employee who's in fact plotting to defraud her employer the loyal son who actually despises his parents, the brash and confident protagonist who is actually full of angst and is painfully insecure. The interior life should give the truth of the character and plot in such a way as to compel the reader to keep going with the story. In her book, Dynamic Characters, Nancy Crest tells us that there are two reasons to present what the character is thinking, either as a means of developing the character themselves or as a way of driving the plot forward. So judicious presentation of this interior life will drive either character or plot and sometimes both. And in the process, you can give insight into the goals, motivations and passions of the character, a subject I talked a little bit about in the last episode. The use of this device can reveal tension, emotion, true feelings, love and hatred and all points in between. You can even use introspection to lighten the mood or to contribute to perhaps the comedy of a funny scene. But beware, too much introspection or the wrong kind of introspection can slow the narrative. So here are some lessons that I've learned from my own writing and from the work of others that I use to help present the character's interior life to best effect. First of all, three simple guidelines, and these are one, the presentation of those interior thoughts and feelings mustn't slow the narrative, as we've already said. Second, what you reveal must either enrich the character or drive the plot. And I'm gonna give you a couple of examples of that in a moment. Third, these interior thoughts must come from the viewpoint character. Now to see how these guidelines might work in real life, let's have a look at three examples. The first is where the technique is handled badly. Now I've made this passage up, so I'm not pointing the finger at anybody else here. And the second and third are from excellent authors showing how the thing should be done. So here's the first example. Nigel sat at his desk, keying the figures on the printout into the spreadsheet on his computer. It was half past 12 and lunchtime would be a welcome waypoint in an otherwise dull day. He could do this job in his sleep and thank goodness for that given his current state. His mind was on those test results. He needed to talk to Sharon about them and he needed to do that today. I'll have the soup for lunch, he thought. He glanced across at Sharon, sitting at the desk opposite. She was biting her lip in that distracting way she always did when she was concentrating. He stared at her, feeling the rising pressure of the chance that she would look up and notice him. Sharon always made a point of chatting to him. She had always shown an interest. She had remembered that he was going for the tests. She cared. Soup, he thought. Maybe the minestrone. I've got some of that left in the fridge. Although I could go out and get some of that chicken soup and maybe some bread. I his thoughts froze as Sharon got up and headed towards the office kitchen. He was up from his own desk before he realised it, walking out behind her. Dave, his colleague who sat next to him, stared as he practically jogged out of the office after her. Not sure if I can face the minestrone today, thought Nigel. Perhaps I'll go out and get that chicken soup when I've talked to Sharon. Oh wait, mother might be doing chicken tonight. I don't want it twice in a day. Perhaps the tomato soup or a sandwich? He took the letter he'd received from the clinic out of his pocket. He hadn't even told his mother about the test. She wouldn't have given him five minutes peace if he'd mentioned it until he'd told her the results. But Sharon, he'd show the letter to Sharon, let her see the results. A sandwich, he thought, following Sharon into the kitchen. I'm going to get a sandwich, one of those meal deal ones. Meanwhile, at his desk, Dave sighed. How bad can it get for Chelsea, he thought. 
best soccer team in the country, Premier League champions, world-class players, and yet here they are, 14th in the league. How can it be this bad? Now, if we came across this passage in a book, we might indeed ask, how can it be this bad? This story seems to be about our protagonist, Nigel, showing the results of some test, a medical test, to his friend, Sharon. She seems to be the only person in the world who takes an interest in him and the only person that he trusts. But then, during the course of the story, we get these introspections about soup and bread and lunch. They're completely out of place and they're very boring. They jar against the story, they slow down the narrative, and then at the end, just when we're used to the fact that Nigel is the viewpoint character, we suddenly hear what Dave is thinking about his football team. So it's a mess. And in part it's a mess because the writer hasn't followed those simple guidelines. Let's have a look at a couple of much better examples. First of all, this is the first paragraph of chapter two of A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin. Jed, the protagonist, has been taken on as an apprentice by a wizard. Jed had thought that as the apprentice of a great mage, he would enter at once into the mystery and mastery of power. He would understand the language of the beasts and the speech of the leaves of the forest, he thought, and sway the winds with his word, and learn to change himself into any shape he wished. Maybe he and his master would run together as stags, or fly to Ray Alby over the mountains on the wings of eagles. Notice how, in this short paragraph, we've been given a sense of Jed's character through his expectations, a sense of where the plot will go next. Jed is probably going to be disappointed in his youthful naivety about what to expect. And we also get a sense of the flavour of the setting of the story. Now, here's another classic example from the start of J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye. If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born and what my lousy childhood was like and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me and all that David Copperfield kind of crap. But I don't feel like going into it if you want to know the truth. In the first place, that stuff bores me. And in the second place, my parents would have two hemorrhages apiece if I told anything pretty personal about them. They're quite touchy about anything like that, especially my father. They're nice and all, I'm not saying that, but they're all so touchy as hell. Besides, I'm not gonna tell you my whole goddamn autobiography or anything. I'll just tell you about this madman stuff that happened to me last Christmas, just before I got pretty run down and had to come out and take it easy. Now this is an amazing piece of introspection. It's quite lengthy, but it works because it's focused on the protagonist, it gives us an insight into his character right from the start, and it gives us some setting and starts to bring together the plot. So that, briefly, is how to make the best of character introspection in your work. But what about presenting it on the page? There are a number of ways to present these interior thoughts, but the one thing everybody seems to agree on is no quotes, no quotation marks, don't use them at all. Now the reason for that is, of course, that if you start to use quotation marks, the reader will get confused. They won't know whether your character is thinking something or saying it. The actual choice you have with presenting these thoughts and feelings of your characters is whether to use italics, or not, and whether to use tags, by which I mean he thought or she thought. And there are no real right answers with this. Different authors adopt different approaches. And as is so often the case, the trade-off you have is between keeping what you're doing short and clear, so as not to distract the reader, versus putting in enough detail so they know what's going on. Now I'm going to put some examples of how to use italics and these thought tags into the show notes, which I put on Pinterest. I could try and explain it all to you over a podcast, but I don't think it's gonna work very well when you need to see the examples and how italics work or don't work for this to be really effective. 
So I'd encourage you to go and check out the show notes. That's www.pinterest.com and look up the Creative Writers Tool Belt and have a look at Nancy Cress's book, Dynamic Characters, and look at the different ways in which the interior life of the character can be presented with and without italics and with and without these thought tags. Personally, I tend to use italics to show what a character is thinking, and when I possibly can, I dispense with the tag he thought or she thought. But the choice is yours. Once you've made it though, it's better to be consistent. So to summarize, don't shy away from using the interior thoughts of your character. They can be effective if they're used properly. If you do use this device, let the thoughts be those of your point of view character. Keep them sharp, don't let the narrative slow down, and use those interior thoughts to either drive the plot or enrich the character, or both. Be honest with your interior comments. Use them to be truthful and to raise tension in the reader's mind, particularly to contrast between the external situation and the internal feelings of the character. In terms of presentation, never use quotation marks, but you can use italics, and you can also use the tag he thought, she thought. Once you've decided what your approach is, try and keep it consistent. So let your readers see inside the heads of your characters. Draw them in with the shocking truth, the real feelings, the tension between exterior and interior worlds that your characters inhabit. Use this device for all it's worth. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found this useful. Today I have quoted from the following works. Dynamic Characters by Nancy Cress, published by Writer's Digest Books. The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, published by Little Brown. A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin, published by Penguin Books. And I've also quoted from Beth Hill's The Editor's Blog, which is at www.theeditorsblog.net. I hope this has been useful to you. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.